It is great to have you here. One quick announcement that I'd like to make that I just wasn't able to get into the bulletin um, is that on uh, Sunday, November 12th, if you guys are here, we want all of you to know uh, that Brooklyn Barons is going to be coming in. Some of you might uh, know that name or that might sound familiar to you. Uh, she is um, a student who graduated from Panorama High School a couple of years ago, and God has called her into the ministry. Uh, she is going to be ministering in Thailand um, and will be leaving, I believe, in January. Um, and so long story short, uh, Emily Albers kind of keyed me into that, was able to get with her, and Friday, after the bulletin had been printed, was able to kind of arrange this. So um, she's going to come and talk about her ministry, uh, just kind of give you an idea of what's going on, opportunity to get to know her better. Um, and then also, if you are wanting to either sign up and pray for her, or if you're interested in financially supporting her, you can do so. But we just want to make sure that you are aware of that. Um, Kind of give a little bit more detail. Brooklyn is the daughter of Dale and Lori Barons. That might help you out. Dale works over at Guthrie County State, uh, Guthrie County State Bank, and Lori works over at Panorama uh, Elementary School. So just kind of want you to be aware. We'll try to get that in the bulletin next Sunday. Um, but excited about that. Um, very excited to hear about what God's doing in her life, and obviously uh, potentially an opportunity for us to either prayerfully support and or financially support someone locally that heading out to do ministry um, across the world. So I just wanted to remind you of that real fast. Uh, that being said, this morning we are continuing in our series on resting in the grace of God. And this morning uh, we're going to take a look at something that I think is very counterintuitive to all of us, something that we're not necessarily used to. But to do so, I want to build off of what we learned last week. We talked in Jeremiah about the covenant that God has made with his people. And we remember and recognize that with God's grace, we are his. We continue in his grace. And because of that, we know that ultimately we are destined for an eternal city. Sort of even going back to what we learned in the book of Hebrews. But this morning, I want to just talk to you a little bit about our world and something that is so different than what we perceive. And the simplest way to put this is, is in our corporate entities, or particularly in athletics, or particularly in positions of power, one of the things that we learn is simply this. Do not let anyone know your weakness. Why? Because if they do, they will exploit it. Better yet, if you are looking at someone, you hear, find their weakness so that you can exploit it. What if weakness is actually a sign of strength? What if in being weak, what if in being at the end of our ability, we actually discover the true power of God? We're going to be talking about that this morning because that is something that is so counterintuitive in our world. I love what Michael Jordan says. All of us know Michael Jordan, famous basketball player, uh, probably worth more than uh, any of us will ever see in our entire lives. And he talked about weakness, and this is what he said. My attitude is if that you push me towards something that you think is a weakness, then I will turn that perceived weakness into a strength. Right? Big and mighty. And everybody worships Michael Jordan because he was this individual who could take anything that was thrown at him and turn it around and use it to his advantage. And we praise him for it. But what if 
What if in our lives, actually being weak allows us to discover the power and the full grace of God? Anybody out there want to admit that they're weak? Anybody want to come to church this morning? I see one hand go up. Thank you. Praise God for it. Friends, it's one of these things to stand before you this morning and say, you know, I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. I know exactly where we need to go over the next 10 years. I've got everything planned out, and it's going to go exactly like I think because in my ability, in my strength, with my education, this is what's going to happen. But if I told you that, it would be a lie. To be honest with you, there are moments in ministry where you're looking and you're saying, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to go here. I don't know if I can do this in my own strength. Let me throw something else out to you. How many of you sit there and say, you know, I have this weakness within me, and God, if you would get rid of it, if you would just remove it, then I would be strong for you. Then I could do so much more for you. Then I would be able to do this, that, and the other thing. And so we go to God and we say, remove it, remove it, remove it, and he doesn't. And you sit there and you say, well, why is that the case? Could it be that perhaps what God is doing is utilizing your weakness to demonstrate his power, authority, and strength in you because you, in and of yourself, are not able to do what God only can do? This morning, that's what we're going to be discovering. The question that we're asking is simply this. As a follower of Christ, how can weakness be a sign of strength? And what is its purpose? Anybody get excited about being weak? No? Friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us should be excited about being weak. Because it's when we are weak, we see the full ability of God to work in our lives and the power that he can supply. It's in those moments where we essentially are at the end of our ability when we say, we can't do anything more, God, I don't know what to do or where to go, that God shows up big time. Let me ask you this. How many of you have gone through a moment or a period or are going through a time of weakness right now? How many of you are noticing the power and the strength of God when you turn to him? How many of you are resting in his grace? It's interesting because we are going to discover this morning, the sufficiency of the grace of God in our weakness. And prayerfully, what I would tell you is to be able to embrace that weakness as we embrace the power and the grace of who God is. We're going to be looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians that is written by the Apostle Paul. But before we do, I want to lay some context for you so you can understand why Paul is saying what he's saying and the reason for what he's writing. Now, to do that, we've got to go way back because if we remember biblically, Paul wasn't necessarily always Paul, was he? He had another name. Paul was Saul. If we remember back, Saul was essentially the Jew of the Jews. He knew all of the Old Testament. He was revered by the people of God. But what we also know is as a Jew of the Jew, he hated Christians. And interestingly enough, he didn't understand what God had done. He didn't recognize who Christ was. And he was persecuting Christians, wanting to rid the world of them. And lo and behold, what we discover is on the road to Damascus, God gets a hold of his heart and demonstrates who he is. And Saul, 
through this encounter with God becomes Paul. The greatest enemy of the gospel turns into the greatest advocate of the gospel, simply through the power of God. We have the majority of the New Testament writing that are written by Paul as someone who goes out and lives his life for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly enough, in someone who knew all of these things, who was educated, quote-unquote, in the Old Testament, knew the laws, could profess the laws, someone who was revered by people for his education, now is actually hated by them. And as we discovered through the ministry of Paul, it's not an easy one. Paul isn't essentially going from place to place on the love boat, enjoying a wonderful time as he tells people about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No, in fact, Paul is persecuted for what he teaches and what he preaches. He's hated by many for what he says. And interestingly enough, we come to the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians for the following reasons. Paul had gone to Corinth, administered there. He had started a church of which he dearly loved. And interestingly enough, over time, the church at Corinth began to grow. But the challenge was this, that internally within the church, things were starting to go awry. The book of 2 Corinthians essentially is Paul writing because his apostolic authority is being challenged by individuals within the church who are essentially legalistic, and the reason they're challenging his authority is they're looking at him and they're saying, that guy's weak. Look at all the things that have happened to him. Look at all the problems that he has. Look at all the trouble that he's gone through. Look at what he can't do. Look at all the problems that he has had. And if he truly were a man of God, if he truly were someone who was an apostle of God, these things wouldn't be happening. And so what's happening here is individuals who are not followers of Jesus Christ are utilizing the Old Testament to attack an apostle and his message that is there. And people are beginning to believe that Paul's authority is being undermined by what these individuals are saying. And they're beginning to say, you know what, Paul, you don't have it all together. If you had it all together... You wouldn't be weak. You wouldn't have these problems. You wouldn't have gone through these things. If you truly were a man of God, you would have all of this figured out and nothing bad would be happening to you. And so what Paul is doing is, is he's essentially writing this second letter, demonstrating, number one, his apostolic authority. But what does he do? He doesn't play on his strengths. He plays on his weaknesses. We're going to be in chapter 12. It's toward the latter part of the book. But to get the context of where we are, in chapter 11, what Paul does is he boasts about his weaknesses. He talks about all that he's gone through. He's talked about all the challenges that he's had. And then he turns and he says essentially this. I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I, don't, I don't like doing this. This isn't what I want to do. But if I have to boast, if you're forcing me to boast, I will boast about what God has done. But not because I want to boast to show how great I am. I want to boast to show you how truly weak I am. And in a moment, we're going to read that he talks about, if you want true accreditation, here's what I'm going to tell you. God took me to heaven. And I was there. Now, I don't want to boast on that. But what he does is he just says, 
Have any of you been to heaven? And that's how he's demonstrating his authority to other people. But it's so counterintuitive to what we think. You would think that Paul would come forward and would say, look, here's what I've done. This is what I've been. This is where I've gone. This is what's happened. These aren't my weaknesses. Don't tell anybody about them. But he fully and openly expresses them. And we're going to discover in a moment that the reason that he demonstrates those weaknesses is to demonstrate the power and authority of God in his life. Friends, one of the things that I want to encourage you in this morning is perhaps the weaknesses that you might have, perhaps the thorn in your side that we will discuss is God's very way of demonstrating his sufficient grace and mercy in you. I don't need a show of hands, but I just want to ask you a simple question. How many of you have struggled with something? How many of you would say that you have essentially a thorn in your side? Something that you feel that if God were to take it away, you could be better, bigger, faster, more powerful, smarter, better for ministry, this, that, or the other thing. And you've gone to him and you've said, God, please take this away. And he hasn't. And then you've questioned and said, God, why aren't you taking that away? Are you there? Do you care? Now, please hear me in this. I want to be very, very clear. There's a difference between a sin in your life and a thorn in your side. Now, if you're rebelling against God, if there's something that you're going against him and against his will, and you're saying, yes, I know, and I'm defying you, that's a whole different story. But if there's something in your life that is a thorn in your side that is essentially causing you weakness, something that you're carrying, and you're able to identify it, and you're able to go and say, God, if you could just get rid of this, I would be so much better for you. And God has chosen not to do so. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, perhaps God isn't sitting there not listening to you. Perhaps God hears every word that you're saying, and he's saying, my son, my daughter, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's take a moment. Let's look. Remember, Paul is writing. He's being attacked by individuals within his church who have come forward and said, you're not the man. You are not an apostle. You do not know what God is doing because if you did, you would not have all of these things happening to you and you would not be weak. And so Paul comes forward and he flips it on and he says, and he says, essentially, the very fact that I am weak is the demonstration of God's authority within me. Because through him and Jesus Christ, God's grace is manifested through my weakness. So different than what the world tells us. Let's take a look. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool. Because I would be speaking the truth. 
But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What an interesting response that Paul gives to the church at Corinth when he's being personally attacked about his authority and his ability to minister within that church. Why would you ever come forward when people are saying the reason that you are not able to minister is because you are weak and say, you're absolutely right. I am weak. But because of my weakness, that is my accreditation for my apostolic authority. Makes no sense, does it? Unless we understand the power and grace and full mercy of God. The sufficiency of his grace. We've asked this question as a follower of Christ. How can weakness be a sign of strength and what is its purpose? And the first thing that I want you to see in the first six verses is this. As followers of Christ, may we boast about our weaknesses and not our strengths. How many of you are able to boast about a weakness that you have? How many of you come forward and say, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with. This is an area that I'm, I'm really weak in, but God is working mightily in it. This was an area that I didn't know where it was going to go. This was an area that I don't have any ability in. This is an area that I couldn't figure out, but God did this, or God is doing that. Or how many of us want to come to church and say we've got it all together? How many of us want to come to church and inside we're hurting, inside we know that we're weak, but when people come forward to us and say, how are you? We say, I'm good. How are you? Don't show your weakness because somebody will exploit it. One of the things that I want to encourage you in, perhaps maybe the way that the power of the church could be demonstrated even more, is when believers come forward and they admit that they are weak to demonstrate the true power of God in their lives. Look what God did. Look what God is doing. Look at how God has done this. Not me nor my strength. It's interesting because Paul starts off and he says, if I must go on boasting, now remember, we're coming off of chapter 11 where he has talked about his weaknesses. And he says, if I, if I have to do this, if you're forcing me to do so, there's really nothing to be gained here. I don't want to tell you how great I am, but if, if, you, if I have to do this, let me say, I will go on to the visions and revelations that I've had from God. If you need to know about that, if that's something that's important to you, even though I don't want to boast about it, I'm going to talk to you and let you know. Although it really doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't make me any better than you. Interestingly enough, and I'm just going to throw this out, how many people, when they die and go to heaven, get a book deal and exploit it? Well, here's somebody that went to heaven. And he didn't use it to exploit it. He used it to demonstrate the power and the authority of who God is. I know a man, interesting enough, I know a man 
Okay? In Christ. Now, he is so humble in this. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. But he uses a third person. He doesn't say, I, Paul, look at me. I, Paul, went to heaven. Book deal, book deal, book deal. He says, I know a man. He's so humble and so broken that he refers to himself in a third person. I know a man. Don't miss this. In Christ, okay? That's like the core to what's being stated here. If you, if you miss the in Christ, everything else that's stated here really doesn't mean a thing. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And then what I love about this is, is he doesn't say this is exactly what it is. Let me tell you exactly what goes on. He's kind of like, all I can tell you is I know I was in paradise. I know I was in heaven. Whether I was in body or out of body, whether it was me totally in my flesh, with my soul and my spirit, maybe, whether it was just my soul and my spirit, I don't know. I can't tell you, but I can tell you I was in heaven. I love that. Because like this is so grand. This is so great. It's so beyond who I am and what I was. All I can say is I know that I was there. Now, interestingly enough, I know you all are sitting there and you're kind of going, the third heaven, right? Are there tears in heaven? Like, is there heaven one, heaven two, and heaven three, right? And like, the people that are kind of good get to go to heaven one, and then the people that are really good get to go to heaven two, and then the people that are super, super good get to go to heaven three? No, that's not what's going on. What he's doing here is he's explaining this to where the people who are persecuting him would understand. Because the Jews of the day divided essentially the heavens into three categories. And so what it is, is the heaven that we see, the sky, when we look up, we see birds in the sky, we see clouds in the sky, we see essentially the earthly realm, that is known as the heavens, the first heaven. Now the second heaven is, is the celestial bodies. So when you look out at night and you see all the big stars and you look at this, the, the moon and you see all of those things, that's second heaven. That's the celestial area. And the third heaven is paradise. It's the heaven of what we have today. That is where Paul went. And so what he's doing is, is he's demonstrating the authority to them to say, look, I wasn't caught up into the sky. I wasn't flying around like a bird. I wasn't in a spaceship like some of the cosmonauts and astronauts that are out there. I went to heaven, to paradise. It's the same word that is used by Jesus when the thief on the cross says, will you forgive me? And Jesus says, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven, as we see contextually today. Now, the other thing theologically that I want you to see is this. That heaven which exists today is not the final heaven. Because we know in the book of Revelation that when all things come together, what do we know? We hear in the word, I will build what? A new heaven and a new earth. But what Paul is saying is the heaven that currently exists, this is where I went. So if you want proof that indeed I have apostolic authority, even though I don't want to tell you that it's me, even though I don't want to boast about it, I'm going to just let you know that I was there. But I'm going to come forward and I'm going to tell you, 
Whether it was in body or out of body, I don't know. What I love in this is his realness. What I love in this is his authenticity. Because you would think if he was being crunched, he would bend it a little bit. He might just throw in, you know, yeah, I was in heaven. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I didn't know that I was in body or not. I'm going to just tell you that I was because it's going to make me sound more authoritative. It's going to make me sound better. Let me tell you more. But he just throws that out and he says, look, this is what I can tell you about the ministry that I've had. And here's what I love about it. We're in the last part of verse 2. Whether it was in body or out of body, I do not know, but who knows? God does. God's the one who gets the glory here. God's the one whom I'm ministering for. And then he continues in, in verse 3. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. That's what I know. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. And then I love this. I will boast about a man like that. Like almost fully separating himself. Right? It's very clear in the writing that the man that Paul is talking about is himself. But he's never putting what happened on him to try to gain credit for it. He's saying this man, Paul himself, but trying to separate himself, I will boast about. But I'm not going to boast about myself. If I'm going to boast about myself, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. And then he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, a fool, because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Friends, we want to boast, let's boast in what God does. Let's not boast in our own strength. We want to boast, let's talk about our weaknesses and demonstrate the power of God in our lives. Those moments where we are at the end of our abilities. Those moments where our faculties and our strength has been drawn to the point of no more. To where then we go and we can see truly how God works and how God moves. That's when we experience his full grace, his sufficient grace in how we go about living our lives. And then Paul continues on, and the next point there when you see in verses 7 through 9 is this. God might choose to give us a thorn in our side to demonstrate the sufficiency of his grace. Have you ever wondered, have you ever thought that perhaps that thorn in your side, perhaps whatever it might be that you are struggling with, is the very means by which God demonstrates his grace and mercy and power to you? Have you ever thought that maybe by going to God and saying, you know, if you could just get rid of this, if you could just take this away from me, if you could just remove this from me, my life would be so much better, I could do so much more for you? Have you ever been told by the enemy, you know what, look at how weak you are. Look at how unable you are to do these things. Man, if you were better, oh, you could do so much more for God, but you're so weak. Have you ever believed those lies? 
Have you ever allowed the enemy to come in and get you right where he wants you to say, look, look at that thorn in your flesh. Look at what's there and look at how weak you are. Can you hear him speaking just like the people who were speaking about Paul's ability? If you weren't weak, if you didn't have that issue, you could be so much more effective. You're not a man of God. If you were, you wouldn't be weak. Paul continues and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Perhaps in our church today, we need less conceited leaders and more weak ones. Perhaps in our country today, we need less conceited leaders and more weak ones who are on their knees going before God saying, Lord, help me because I don't know what to do. Don't show your weakness. Wouldn't it be interesting, I'm just going to throw this out, if somebody running for office, and I'm not, I'm not going into politics too much, but I just think it would be so interesting, if somebody came forward and said, you know what, I have some ideas, this is what I want to do, but honestly... I'm going to tell you that every person that comes forward has all these grandiose plans and everybody tells you that what they're going to do is going to make the world a better place. And so they get elected in office and they do their thing and it never gets better. But what I am going to tell you is this, I'm going to do everything I can to go before God and ask him to lead, guide, and direct my heart to where in so doing, we're going to follow his lead and we're going to trust what he's doing and that's the platform on which I stand. I'm going to rest on the power of God not on my own strength and my own ability. Wouldn't that be interesting? I digress. Paul continues on and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Friends, perhaps what God is doing in that thorn in your side is to remove you becoming conceited. I did this. I can do that. Look at how great I am. And friends, one of the things that I'll tell you is through the history of this church, God's done some amazing things. And praise God for it. But in following him, I'll be 100% honest with you, there were days, weeks, months, and years where I was like, holy cow, God, I have no clue where this is going to go. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I don't know if I'm going to have a job next month. But I'm going to follow you. And in that, I'm going to allow you to work so that you might be glorified and you might be magnified. And lovingly, what I'm going to tell you is every step of the way, God has shown up big time in my weaknesses, not my strengths. It's interesting because... What we see here, to keep me from becoming conceited, right? Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now, interestingly enough, the word thorn there, okay, it's not a physical thorn. It's not like a thorn off of a, a rose. It's actually a similar word to a nail that pierces into the individual. Does that sound familiar? A messenger of Satan 
Now, for those of you that like to go deep theological, what I want to tell you is this. No, Paul was not possessed by Satan. He had Christ within him. Because he had Christ within him, he was a believer. He was, quote-unquote, sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when you read this, it's not that Paul became possessed by Satan. He was fully an, ap uh, an apostle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But God allowed this piercing of the enemy within him for the sole purpose of keeping him dependent upon the grace of God. Interestingly enough, we see this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, just so that you know, it wasn't like, okay, three strikes and you're out. This isn't a baseball analogy. But back in the time of Jesus, there was this idea that threes were essentially the ultimate purification or the ultimate designated authority. We even look back in the Old Testament, and when someone was wanting a divorce, if they said, I want to divorce you, that would be number one. But in order to move forward with an actual divorce, they'd have to say it three times. I want to divorce you. Okay, you're on number two. You say it three, then it begins to enact. Also, in prayer and in action, the third statement was what was believed would bring into action what was being either requested or demanded of the individual. So Paul comes forward and he says, look, I said this three times. I tried once and I said, Lord, take this away from me. And you did not. So I came to you again. And I said, Lord, take this away from me. And you did not. And I came to you a third time. And on the third time when I said, take this away from me, your response was this. I'm sorry you're having such a hard time. Your life is supposed to be happy, wealthy, and wise. Let me get rid of this for you and let you retire in comfort. Live on a golf course and have fun days to the end of your life. No, what does God say? Friends, this is so important for us to see. God demonstrates his love, his mercy, and his grace with a no response. No! I'm not going to take this away. You must hate me, God. You must not be there. You must not be real. You must not be true. You must not be hearing what I'm doing. Because if this was gone, I could do so much more. And God turns and he says, no, my child. No, my son. No, my daughter. I'm not going to take this away from you. And I do love you because you are mine. And if we fall back to what's stated on Jeremiah we know I've made a covenant with you. My grace is what will see you through. My grace is what would be sufficient for you. And the thorn in your side is what will draw you to my grace and it will demonstrate to you my power, my authority, and my love for you. So in the moment when you are weak, you will see how truly strong I am. Am. That's what God says. Three times, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Can I ask a, a, an honest question of you this morning? If you have a thorn in your side, okay, whether it's today or if you had one or if you can think of one, right? This, this nagging, agonizing thing that is causing you to be weak and you know that if you were to rid yourself of it in your perception, you would be that much stronger, that much more able, that much better to do whatever it is that you think you're called to do. And you went to God and you said, God, get rid of this. Remove it so that I could do more for you. And God turns to you and he says, I hear you. I gotcha. My answer is no. How would you respond? Is God's grace sufficient enough for you? Interestingly enough, we see and Paul gets it. Because right after he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Okay, God. I don't like it. I don't want it. I'm going to struggle with it. I get that it's there. I get you're not going to remove it. I get this is the thorn in my flesh or the thorn in my side. I get that this debilitates me minimizes me, reduces me. All for the purpose of me to rest on your grace and demonstrate your mighty power. Praise God for it. Can we do that? The other thing too that I want to talk about is everybody wants to know, well, what's the thorn in his flesh, right? If we can figure that out, if we can know what he's talking about, right? I find it so interesting because you're sitting there and you're like, Paul, would you just tell us what it is so that we could figure out what to do so we could avoid it, right? His thorn in his side was, and we all spend this time and we try to figure it out and we come up with all these theories and we look back to what was there. He had this problem or he had that problem or this is what it was, so just avoid that. But I think God in his purpose through Paul, demonstrates, I'm not going to reveal to you what that thorn is. Now, I'll give you a couple of thoughts. I'll give you a couple of ideas of what theologians have said. This comes out of the study Bible, the ESV study Bible, to give us sort of an understanding of what might it be. It says, the nature of this thorn or messenger is much disputed. The most frequently proposed possibilities include, number one, Paul's inner psychological struggles, such as grief over his earlier persecution of the church, or sorrow over Israel's unbelief or continuing temptations. Okay, so one is just, you know, God, I'm out there ministering, I'm doing my thing, I'm telling them to come to you, and these people are just are not day in and day out. I'm doing everything I can to tell you about Jesus. And everybody looks at me and they're kind of like, man, that's great, and they go on and do their thing. That's number one. Number two, Paul's opponents who continue to persecute him. We see this essentially coming out of Numbers 33:55 and Ezekiel 28:24, where thorns refer to Israel's enemies. Perhaps it is essentially a 
God thing that's prophetic, and what's happening is because Paul is a minister of the gospel, his enemies are challenging his authority. Maybe he's sitting there saying, that's the thorn on my side. I'm trying. I love the church of Corinth. I've spent time there. I love these people. I want to see them grow. These people are coming forward, and they are challenging who I am. Or number three, some kind of physical affliction, possibly poor eyesight, malaria, fever, or severe migraine headaches, something along those lines, something physical that he had to endure. Or some kind of demonic harassment, a messenger of Satan. Most commentators cautiously prefer some form of a third view, since the thorn in the flesh would seem to suggest a physical condition. Although, we don't know. It could be any combination of those things. But what we do know is whatever this thorn in his flesh was, was causing Paul to be debilitated and be weak in his ministry. And people were coming forward and saying, because you're weak, you are not an apostle. And yet Paul turns and he says, no, I tell you very differently. The very fact that I am weak, the very fact that I cannot do these things in my own strength, demonstrates Christ in me and his power, and his strength, not my own. The other thing that I want you to to, to notice, right? Um, Verse 9, right? After, After pleading, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace... Okay, and, and if you want to mark your Bibles, circle this. But circle the word is. Okay? He doesn't say, my grace will be. My grace is going to be. My grace was, is, present tense. Here, now, continually. I am with you, and my presence via my grace is sufficient for you day in and day out as you go through the challenges that you have in your life. My grace is now, today, and always, and every day until I take you home. The idea here that I want you to see is that Paul uses the present tense when God says to him, my grace is sufficient to you to demonstrate the continual availability and the sufficiency of God's grace, which is available to all who call upon his name. Every single moment of every single day, God's grace is sufficient for you. And then we see essentially the purpose behind all of this. And Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Purpose clause. So that Christ's power may rest on me. I am weak. I am tired. I am whatever Paul was dealing with. I am weak. I am not strong. But in my weakness, I want to boast about God's power and strength in me. Let me ask another question. 
How many of you have gone through something where essentially you were at the end of your rope? Has anybody ever been in a situation where you were looking around and all of the logical information that you had, everything that you had planned out just didn't add up and you were sitting there and you're going, you know what, everything that I know, everything that I see, everything that I understand, everything that I can figure out, X is not going to equal Y. Anybody been there? How many of you have kind of said, I don't know where we're going? How many of you felt strong in that moment? How many of you felt desperately weak? How many of you saw the power of God when he came forward and says, yes, X does not equal Y, but I have Z for you, and it's even better. And we didn't even know about option Z. Because in our eyes, we thought, but it had to go one direction. Let me lovingly ask you this, how many of you from that can go forward and boast about the power of God in your life with authenticity and realness, not some quasi, oh God is an amazing God. Let me tell you about the time that I was weak. Let me tell you about the time when I could not do it in my own strength. Let me tell you about the time where I was on my knees and yet God was the one who showed up in a big way. God was my source of strength. God was the Almighty. God was the one who made the answer. God is the one in whom I rested on his grace. I put my head on that pillow and I said, Lord, I cannot do it. I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to put it on you and I'm going to rest in your grace and your will be done. And almighty God shows forth in all his strength and all his might when we are at the end of our strength. And then in the end, the last kind of final verse, verse 10, that is why, that is why, for my sake, I'm seeing if you guys are awake, for my sake, right? That is why, for my sake. No, he says, for Christ's sake. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. So, so counterintuitive, right? It's one thing to come forward and kind of, I'm gonna tell you, I got this weakness, but don't, don't tell anybody, okay? Don't, don't share with anybody else, right? Okay? Don't let anybody know that I'm a Denver Broncos fan and their season is terrible. Okay? Don't let anybody know that the CU Buffaloes played yesterday and their defense was amazing, but their offense couldn't do anything and they lost to UCLA. Don't tell anybody. Let's take that a little bigger, okay? A little humor in here to kind of lighten the spirit. Don't tell anybody about the weaknesses that you might have. Now, sin and deliberate sin are different, okay? Please hear me on this. If you are in deliberate sin and you're defying what God is asking you to do, that's a whole other story. But if you are following God and there is a thorn in your flesh that God has placed there and you know it's a weakness and you're trying to compensate for it in your own strength, lovingly may I turn to you and rather than trying to compensate, embrace. Embrace it. And say, 
I am weak. Guys, I can't sing a lick. But if God asks me to come up for worship, I'll let you know so you don't have to be here if you don't want to be. But I'll sing. Right? That's, I, I don't have any talent in that whatsoever, but I'll sing. And prayerfully, I'll make a joyful noise to the Lord. I hope. But what I'll tell you is this. If I sound good, if God gets me through the song, it's not my power. It's his. Take it even deeper. Maybe there's a struggle that you have. Maybe there's something that you're looking at and you're saying, God, please get rid of this. Now, maybe in his mercy and his grace he will, but if he's chosen not to, perhaps you look at it and you say, you know what, this is my very thorn in my side and I will delight in it because God's power is made strong in me. This is the ability for me to, God, to demonstrate God's strength in my weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, caveat that, because the way that the structure of that sentence works is it's based off of the start of that sentence, for Christ's sake. It's not when I'm weak, I am strong, in my own ability, okay? So I don't want you thinking, okay, let's, just, let's get weak, right? Remove Christ out of the picture, and then, boom, when we admit our weaknesses, we're strong. That's not what's going on there. It's built upon the strength of Christ. When I am weak, Christ in me makes me strong. So the final thing that I want you to see is this. Because when we are weak, through the sufficiency of God's grace, we are made strong in Christ. How many of you have had your strength in Christ grow because of those weak moments that you have experienced? Let me ask you this question. How many of you would be willing to say, God, may make me even weaker so that you might be more strong in my life? Do we want to raise our hands for that one? As a follower of Christ, how can weakness be a sign of strength and what is its purpose? Friends, its very purpose, perhaps, is to demonstrate the strength and the power of God within us and the sufficiency of his grace. We've looked at someone who, by all means, in today's world, would be considered the mighty follower of Jesus Christ, Paul, the author of the majority of the New Testament. And what we might look at is this. Let's introduce Paul. Let's see Paul. Oh, wow, look, Paul was this mighty man, and he went here, and he did three missionary journeys, and he wrote all these books, and look at what he did. And Paul comes forward, and he says, let me tell you about how weak I am. Come here, the weaknesses of Paul. That doesn't sound like a tagline. That's not a marketing ploy. You're not going to get a lot of people to come and follow that, are you? Oh, let's hear of the weaknesses of Paul so that we might know the strength of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where the message becomes real. That's where the message becomes powerful. That's where the message is true. We've seen that as followers of Christ, may we boast about our weaknesses and not our strengths. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, lovingly, I want to tell you this. God may choose to give you a thorn in your side to demonstrate the sufficiency of his grace. And lovingly, if it is there and you recognize that it is there and you are not in sin, but you are following God, I want to encourage you, don't compensate for it. Embrace it. Embrace it and let God work in you so that you might see his full strength in what he can do, not you can do. And finally, the whole idea is because when we're weak, through the sufficiency of God's grace, we're made strong in Jesus Christ. Sort of to sum this all up, that summative statement that I want to leave you with this morning, we've asked that question as a follower of Christ, how can weakness be a sign of strength and what is his purpose? We've gone through this passage And what I leave you with this morning is this, because of God's sustaining grace, the power of Christ is perfected in our weakness. God's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He is going to sustain you. He is going to give you the ability to continue to move forward. But his power is going to be made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for what Paul has written. We thank you for his transparency. Father, we thank you for the fact that he did not try to cover up his weaknesses, even though they were the very means by which he was being attacked. Father, we thank you that in it, you went to him and you didn't remove it. Father, you didn't come forward and say, oh gosh, Paul, I'm so sorry. Let me take that thorn out of your side. But what you said was simply this, no. No, I'm not going to do so because my grace is sufficient for you. Father, thank you that in that, Paul learned to rest upon your grace and he learned the purpose of why that thorn was in his side. Was so that in doing what he had done for you, he could demonstrate and authenticate through humility, mercy, and grace that all that was accomplished was not his doing but yours. That he could turn the accomplishments to the mighty power of God, not himself. And so, Father, may we look at that as an example in our lives and perhaps that thorn in our side, Lord, that we so desperately want God to remove that we've cried out and asked for him to take away from us is the very means by which we continue to embrace that almighty blessedness of God, the sufficiency of his grace. And Father, may we rest on that. May we stake our claim on that. And may that be what moves us forward, the power of God within us in our weakness. We thank you. We love you. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,